Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Today, I'm excited to share the word because we are jumping into week three of a series we've been in for the last couple of weeks entitled Vintage Church, a model for our modern world. And we've been taking a look back at the first church in the book of Acts and the way that they operated, the methods, the model that they set for us. And we've been doing a little bit of a compare and contrast with that church and the worldwide church today. In fact, we've been making it personal, talking about our church, the Father's House. How do we look and how do we compare to the early church. And we've been giving ourselves permission, if we see some discrepancies in there, to course correct and adjust so that we can become a little closer to the model. And in the first week, we talked about the fact that the early church, the vintage church, was birthed in supernatural unity. Unity was the environment. It was it was the, the place that created space for all of these other things that we read about in the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, we talked about the fact that that unity is so vitally important especially considering the context of the culture we live in right now. Uh, My favorite theologian, N.T. Wright, he puts it like this. He said, the early Christian impulse was to behave as a single family. We are brothers and sisters. Our baptism, our shared faith, our fellowship, and the bread breaking, they all point in this direction. And I'm going to quote him a couple times today because that guy is really brilliant. But I love the way he said that. He said, the early Christian impulse was to behave as a single family. I love that. We are family. I love that immediately all of these people from every which walk of life and every which culture, they immediately united and said, you know, we are a family. And just as it was their impulse back then, I desperately believe that it needs to be our impulse, our knee-jerk, our reaction today, that we need to remind ourselves in the middle of what we're facing right now that we are Brothers and sisters, before we are anything else, we are children of the Most High God and we are called to unite together as a family. And here's the deal. I don't know how your family works, but I know how mine does. And sometimes families get into scuffles. Sometimes they fight. But at the end of the day, they all seem to make their way back to the same dinner table and they eat together. And so I hope that in the midst of all that's happening right now, we don't lose family members, but we all come back around the same table and under the name and the banner of Jesus Christ and that we stay unified. Uh, But today, we're gonna jump into some of the pillars. In fact, last week, my wife started by talking about the first pillar of this vintage church, and it was an incredible sermon. She talked about breaking bread and fellowship with one another. Um, If you did not listen to that message, I give you permission right now to turn off this one and to go back and listen to that one. She had us all in tears as she really articulated the lifeblood of the Father's house, what makes us us. And and if you didn't catch it, you need to hear it before you hear this message because I really do believe that we have been missing what she talked about for the last 16 weeks and it is so vitally important that we begin to embrace that again. Uh, But today, I'm gonna jump into the second pillar of the church and as we do, that and we get into uh, the the key scripture that we've been studying for the last couple of weeks, I want to offer you a suggestion just as I did in the first week because the content we're going to discuss today has the opportunity to become a little bit personal for you. And as I said in week one, there is a temptation as we begin to talk about the church at large to kind of just point your finger and say, you're right, that's, that is the problem. The church needs to fix that. And we're kind of pointing at this nebulous, ambiguous organization. But you're the church. I'm the church. 
And at the end of the day, if we see some problems or some discrepancies, some things that need to be adjusted, it doesn't mean we point the finger at somebody else. It means we take a look in the mirror, and if we need to adjust, we start with ourselves. And so before we even go to the scripture today, I wanna, I wanna just pray a very simple prayer over us, that our hearts would be open and that the Holy Spirit would convict us as necessary as we get into this content. So let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word has the power to change us. And I pray as we get into this content today that every heart listening would be opened, that we wouldn't point the finger at somebody else and say they need to change. But Lord, if there's things that need to change in us, Holy Spirit, you would awaken those things inside, that you would reveal them to us and that you would lead us on a path to change so that we could become the vintage church, the model that is so desperately needed for our modern world. We love you today and we thank you for your grace in doing this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's get into our, uh, our scripture. Acts chapter two, verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Uh, today we're gonna look at that first sentence. We're gonna unpack this thought a little bit where it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was such an important pillar in the New Testament church. It served to shape the convictions and the moral compass of all of these new baby believers, these newfound Christians. It was vitally important then, and I believe that it is vitally important today. In fact, if what we talked about last week, the fellowship and, and communion together has been missing for 16 weeks, I would argue that this has been missing for a lot longer, this devotion to the apostles' teaching. Now, let me offer a brief, a brief disclaimer because I know what somebody's thinking. You're like, yo, is this where Pastor Tim is like, I am the apostle of this church and now you need to devote yourself to whatever I say. You just blindly follow me from here on out. Yeah, that's exactly it, okay? So we're all gonna buy the same pair of tennis shoes. We're gonna make sure they're sparkling white. Uh, I, I've, I've created this delightful Kool-Aid for all of us to drink at the same time. We're just gonna see what happens. No, come on, that's not what I'm saying. I would never use this platform to tell you you need to blindly follow my teaching. I'm not as arrogant, arrogant enough to assume that I am apostle. And here's the deal. We don't need any new teaching. We already have the apostle's teaching. It is right here. It is written out for us. The reason the New Testament church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching is because they didn't have one of these. They didn't have it all written out. So they were listening to the apostles' teach. Well, we have what the apostles taught right here in this book. In fact, I consider it one of my greatest responsibilities to be devotedly unoriginal in the doctrine of my teaching, to ensure that I am so devoted to the apostles' teaching and not my own ideas that at best, all I try to do is take what they have already taught us and apply it to our current context. And that's what I wanna do today. So let's, let's get into this. What does it mean to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? Well, the word devoted is uh, described like this in the English dictionary. It says, to be loyal to or to give oneself to. Uh, in the Greek, the word devoted is a Greek word that I'm not even gonna try to pronounce, but it'll come up on your screen right now. Uh, but here's what it means, a steadfast, single-minded fidelity. 
I love that. A steadfast, single-minded fidelity. I love that definition because what was present and what was praised in the New Testament church is often something that is devalued and criticized in our current culture. It says that they were steadfast and they had a single-minded devotion to those things, a single-mindedness about it. You know, in our culture, one of the greatest criticisms of Christians and the church is that we are not open-minded enough, that we are closed-minded when it comes to the things that people are trying to tell us or people are trying to teach us or new ideologies that are being unpacked or new thoughts that our culture begins to embrace. People say things like, oh, you're so closed-minded or come on, you need to get with the times or things are different today than they were back then in the Bible or don't you believe in science? Like these are the things that the the church is criticized of. But listen, as, as a believer, as one who is looking back at the model that was established for us, we are not to have an open mind that just lets anything and everything in that our culture tells us is truth. In fact, the opposite is true. Not, not to be closed-minded, but to be single-minded, that we would be steadfast with single-minded fidelity. Uh, the, the greatest analogy I could even give to kind of tie it together would be the analogy of marriage. When I think about the, the bride that I committed myself to 16 years ago, the covenant that we made, uh, it, it was a steadfast, single-minded fidelity. It, it should be encouraging to you to know that my wife and I, uh, we are not open-minded about our marriage. We're not open-minded about our fidelity, that we are fiercely committed to one another, that we are loyal. I, I've, I've never come home and said, hey, hey, babe, um, this is Monica. We, we met at the coffee shop had a great conversation. She shared with me how lonely she was and how she felt really safe around me. And so I just decided, let's bring her home. Let's make her a biddle. We got a bed downstairs in the basement. She can sleep there and she can become a part of our family. Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. We all know Robin. We know what would happen. There'd be only one person sleeping on the bed downstairs in the basement and it would not be Monica. It would be your boy. And by sleeping on the bed, I mean I would probably be buried somewhere in the basement. No, we're not open-minded about our fidelity. We are very singular-minded about our fidelity. We are are one for one. We are loyal to one another. And the New Testament church, the vintage church, they had that same mindset about the apostles' teaching. They were devoted. They were fiercely loyal They were steadfast. They had a single-minded fidelity about what they were being taught. And here's why. They they knew that what the apostles were teaching was not opinion, was not idea. They were the very words and the teachings of Jesus. Remember, these apostles were disciples. And then the disciples who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and saw Jesus do miracles and witnessed the resurrected Christ— they became the apostles that begin to preach and teach to the New Testament church. So they weren't just making stuff up. They were telling these, these new followers of Jesus what Jesus, what the Messiah himself had said and done around them. And so the reason they were willing to be so fiercely devoted to the apostles' teaching was because the apostles were speaking the very words of God from the mouth of Jesus. And that that devotion, it served to be problematic for them. Go go back and look at some of the teachings. Go back and and look at some of the responses of culture to Jesus and to the apostles. Jesus got himself killed. The apostles got themselves arrested and many of them uh, died a martyr's death because the, the teachings that they were presenting to the church were incredibly controversial. 
incredibly countercultural. They flew in the face of the cultural narrative of their day in such a way that it offended people. Jesus would say things that, that the, the leaders in his day, they just, they couldn't believe someone would try to propagate that kind of a gospel. He would say things like, you've heard your leaders say, you've heard people say, you've heard it said this way. Well, I'm gonna tell you that ain't right. It's actually this way. He flipped everything on its head. He was so different than all of the teachers and all the leaders that they had ever heard before, and he taught with such authority. He would say things like, you know, you've heard it said, your culture tells you that you can love your friends and you can hate your enemies. If someone curses you or oppresses you, then you have the right to curse them right back. But I'm telling you that you need to love your enemies. You need to pray for those who curse and oppress you. You need to pray for those that you hate. This will actually prove that you are my children, that you are children of the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said that if you wanna be great, then you need to find some people to serve you. But here's what I'm telling you. You wanna be great? Then you need to serve everybody else around you. You've heard it said and your culture has told you that you should amass as much as possible from yourself. Look out for number one, hoard it all. But I'm telling you, live generously, live for the kingdom, store up treasure for yourself in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. Then you'll be my children. His teachings were completely countercultural. He said, you think that women are second-class citizens? You think that the Gentiles are dogs? You've been told that you can divorce for any reason? You've been told that judgment should be retributive and that unforgiveness is your right. Well, I'm telling you, all that you know is not right. It's not the way it's supposed to operate in the kingdom of God. I'm flipping everything on its head. And the disciples, the apostles, these new Christians, this was the kind of teaching that they devoted themselves to. This was the kind of lifestyle that they began to embrace. And as a result, they were rejected. They became outcasts in their culture. Their lifestyle, their beliefs, their behavior, it was so counterintuitive to everybody else around them that it seemed as though they just could not fit in to the culture they found themselves in. I wonder if that could be said about us. I wonder if that could be said about the Church of Jesus Christ today. I wonder if that could be said about the Father's house here in San Francisco that we are so fiercely devoted to the teachings of Jesus, that we are so fiercely devoted to what we know to be true in the word of God, that it's almost like we don't fit into our culture. It's almost like we're rejected, occasionally oppressed for what we believe. Or could it be said of us that we just kind of bleed in with everything else around us? Do, do we just kind of fit in, almost undistinguishable. People don't even know that we're believers. Our lives, our, our philosophies, our convictions just kind of look like the rest of the world. Seriously, consider that for just a moment. Think about it. Think about all the things that people devote themselves to. People that are fiercely loyal to a political party. And I'm not gonna condemn anybody for how you vote or tell you who you should vote for, not my job. But think about it, people are fiercely devoted to a politician or to a political party. And when you find something that that politician says or does or something that that party is trying to propagate, if it doesn't align with the word of God, are you more devoted to a party than you are 
the truth of his word? Or do you look at that in the moment and say, you know what? That's not truth. That does not align with the, the apostles' teaching. And so I'm going to have to part ways on this one. How about our sexuality, the way we do dating, sexual identity? Are we rooting our, our truth in the word of God? Are we looking at what the apostles taught about these things? Or are we just kind of embracing and, and practicing whatever the culture around us tells us is acceptable? Or you consider your social media. Are you more devoted to the opinions of somebody who's showing up on a two-inch screen than you are to the word of God that is supposed to be hidden inside your heart? Repost, retweet, doesn't matter if it aligns with the word of God. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, I'm just asking. Like, do we really look different than the rest of the world? Are we really fiercely devoted to the teachings of Christ? And listen, I know someone's going, well, I have my own opinion. I, I, this is what I believe, and you can't tell me otherwise. And, you know, if this is what I believe, then it's truth. <clears throat> Wrong. You lost the right to your opinion and your own truth the second that you said yes to Jesus. If there is anything, be it political party or social media or news organization or cultural ideology that exalts itself against the name of Jesus, then you no longer have the luxury of buying into what the world around you is saying unless it aligns with the word of God, period. And yet that is where so many find themselves in our culture. I said I would quote the wise sage, so let me quote him again. N.T. Wright says it like this where no attention is given to teaching and to constant lifelong Christian learning, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture and end up with their minds being shaped by whichever social pressures are most persuasive, with Jesus around as a pale influence or memory. Sadly, I think that describes the state of so many people in the Church of Jesus Christ today. It's not that they don't love God, it's that they are being so persuaded by the pressures, the social pressures of their culture, that they're not even considering what Jesus might say about a situation. It's kind of what the Apostle James refers to in James chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. Divided loyalty, divided hearts, divided devotion, their, their disloyalty has led to instability. We're no longer stable. We don't have a firm foundation. We don't have a firm footing. And so we've lost even the authority that God has put on the church to have in the world because our hearts, our loyalties, our devotion is divided. Now, there's the problem. Uh, that, that's, that's the tension that I think we live in right now. And it needs to be resolved. You know, I don't just tell you all that to make everyone depressed. I think that, that we need to be aware of where we stand so that we can go about actively fixing these things and establishing once again the methods, the model that the New Testament church showed us in the book of Acts. And so I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning looking at how we can fix this, how we can adjust it, and how we can become the kinds of people that God has called us to be, devoted followers of the apostles' teaching in our day and age. And I want to look at one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. It's in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. And these are the words of the apostle Paul. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect 
will. I love that scripture. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul says here that that the world, it has a pattern. It has a system it wants you to conform to, a modus operandi, if you will. And its teachings, its ways, its pattern is contrary to the pattern in the life of Christ. But here's the problem. The culture you live in, it, it, is, it is very persuasive uh, with, with what it wants to teach you, but it's very subtle. It's not overt. It doesn't come right out and say, this is what I want you to do, follow me, kind of this you know, robotic. Con- no, it's very subtle. It's sweeping. The enemy knows that you know, if, if he made it too obvious that the Christian would reject it. And so he, he tries to get us to kind of stew and marinate in the ways of this world until without realizing it, without our permission, suddenly some of the world has gotten into us. It's beginning to move us and, and cause us to drift from the things of God. It's kind of like the ocean's current. Has ever happened to you before? You, you go to the beach, you set up your towel, you put all your stuff out, and then you grab the boogie board or the surfboard or whatever, you just cruise out to the water, and you're out there swimming and boogie boarding and surfing for 45 minutes or an hour, and suddenly you look back at the shore and you realize, like, where's my towel? Where's my stuff? And you look down the beach and like a mile down the beach, there's all your stuff. Well, what happened? You drifted. There was a current that you were not aware of. You were just out there enjoying yourself, having a good time. And without your permission, the the current, the tide, it began to, to sweep you in a direction that you didn't know you were going until suddenly you were so far away from where you started that you didn't know how to get back. I think that's how... The culture works. The pattern of this world works. It, it tries to subtly sweep us away from the things of God. I would see it all the time when I was a youth pastor. We'd have these junior high and high school kids for six years, and we'd train them up in the ways of God, and they would love Jesus. They'd be reading their Bible. They'd start campus clubs at their school, and we'd send them off to college fired up, ready to love Jesus and tell the world about him. And then they would kind of wade into the waters of a college professor's course who was an atheist, or they'd wade into the waters of some of these new friends that they found who liked to party but didn't really think much about God at all. And without realizing it, they got caught up. They found themselves in a current and a tide that swept them away from Jesus. And after a few months or a few years, they picked up their head in the beach blanket. The Bible was so far away from where they found themselves that they did not know how to get back to it any longer. But but Paul has a prescription for this. He has a solution for those who get caught up in the pattern of the world. It's a very simple one-sentence solution. And here's what he says. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. He said, if you want to act different, then you need to think different. And if you're going to think different, then you need a renewed mind. Now, I could spend a whole sermon on renewing your mind. In fact, we could send a whole series on renewing your mind. It is a massive topic. And I know that there are some counselors in our church that are watching right now and they're saying, please don't just sweep over this. This is such an important thing. Yes, it is massively important. And perhaps we will do another series on what it looks like to renew our minds and to have our thoughts right. But but today I have to keep it simple because according to the clock, I've only got a couple of minutes left. And so I want to give you a very simple thought about what it means to renew our minds so that we can be transformed 
and not conformed to the pattern of this world. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. A renewed mind requires daily devotion. A renewed mind requires daily devotion. Back to the book of Acts, chapter 2. You'll find this phrase in verses 42 to 47, which we're studying. Uh, This phrase, daily they did this. Daily they devoted themselves to these things. This was all a daily practice for the, the new disciples. They didn't just wait for a pastor to give them the Bible out of his basement on a Sunday morning. They were daily devoted to the Word of God. They, they didn't just sing worship songs on the Sabbath. They were daily lifting up their voices in worship. They didn't pray once a year for their food on Easter. They were daily devoted to prayer, daily devoted to the things of God. They understood that the culture they found themselves in was so pervasive, so convincing that if they weren't careful, they were going to get caught up in the current of their culture. And so they understood, I have to be devoted daily to these things if I'm going to stand for Jesus in my generation. And I think we find ourselves at a time in history where we need that kind of daily devotion to be renewed. We can't rely on one meal a week with the pastor talking to a camera. We can't pray only when it's an emergency or only over the dinner. We can't find ourselves worshiping only on a Sunday morning for 12 and a half minutes in our living room or when we get back into a building for a few minutes longer. We need to be daily devoted to the things of God. If we are going to have our minds transformed, if we're going to think different and as a result, act different than the rest of the world around us, we need our minds renewed. And that comes with daily devotion. We need a renewed mind if we're going to stare down the fear of a global pandemic. We need a renewed mind if we're going to see past the barrage of bad news that we see every single day in media. We need a a renewed mind if we're going to address injustice and racial unrest in our nation. We need to think differently, and that requires a daily devotion, the simple stuff, the Word of God, prayer, worship. We have got to be daily devoted followers. Now, I know that feels like a simple application, but I've had plenty of conversations with people in our church over the last couple of weeks. And I know that there are some people who have gotten so discouraged over the last 16 weeks of isolation that the daily devotion thing is the biggest problem they're facing. And I wanna stir you up today. I wanna encourage you today. I wanna light that fire and stoke those coals again today and say, come on, let's become daily devoted followers. Let's get back to the basics. Let's get back into the presence of Jesus. Let's get back into the word. And as we become daily devoted followers, I believe that our minds are gonna be renewed and we can be transformed just as the vintage church disciples were into the image of Christ that our world so desperately needs to see. And last thought, as you do this, as you climb back on the horse and become a devoted follower again, let me remind you to give yourself some grace. In fact, let me remind you to give other people some grace in this process. That that Greek word for transformed is actually where we get the word metamorphosis. In other words, it's a process. Everybody is in process. Let's not rush that process. Let's not get angry when they're not further along than they are. Let's let the transformation process of Jesus take its course. And you remember it. It was like the, the caterpillar, right? And in that elementary school video, it would attach itself to that branch and it would get into that cocoon and it would take some time just hanging there as it kind of transformed and 
metamorphosized into a butterfly. It didn't happen overnight. It took a little bit of time. Hey, it's going to take some time, and that's okay. Give yourself some grace. Give the people around you some grace, and let's allow the process to work. And today, as we conclude, if you're like, I'm ready for this, but I've never made this this decision to be a, a devoted follower of Jesus, well, start the same way the caterpillar did. Link your life up to something solid. Link your life up to Jesus today, and I'll pray a very simple prayer with you in just a moment to do that. And let's become the devoted followers of Jesus that he longs for us to be, that the church so desperately needs, and the world needs to witness in these days. Let me pray with you this morning. Jesus, thank you for our church. Thank you for every person watching today. And I ask right now that we would be devoted once again to the apostles' teaching, devoted followers of Jesus that we wouldn't be swayed by the culture around us, that their ideas and their convictions would would not make their way into our heart, but that we would be steadfast, single-minded in our fidelity. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.